Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode follows the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. This is the final episode of our 2023 edition, but I'm delighted to let you know that we'll be returning on New Year's Day with another 12 episodes for 2024. I'm Leah Lane author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume, who blend, barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year, released at the equinoxes and solstices. I love wearing fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all my senses. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. The Sunrise On the 1st of December, the sun rises at 7.58 in Padstow and at 8.32 in Inverness. And it would be almost half an hour later in both places by the winter solstice on the 21st of December. We have entered the time of the latest sunrises of the year, and many of us will be up stumbling around in the cold, dark mornings ahead of dawn, pulling the slippers on, fastening the dressing gown tightly, and pulling back the curtains to peer out into the darkness. We rouse ourselves from sleep with hot cups of tea in place of daylight, the clock's the only thing convincing us we must get up. Many of us wish to live in tune with the cycle of the year, throwing ourselves into the light, active, sociable summer and taking a gentler, quieter, more hermit-like pace in the winter. The truth is that our lives don't allow it. Our bodies yearn for hibernation at this time of year. The alarm clock goes off anyway. We have to find our own ways to fulfil that yearning for quiet and peace, particularly in the hectic run-up to Christmas. Try to find time once a day for five to ten minutes just to yourself in which to still and rest your mind. It might be ten minutes of meditation with candles. It might be a long hot bath. It might even be stepping out into the cold morning with a hot cup of coffee to look at the morning stars. Do it alone. Let everyone know you are not to be disturbed and try to do it daily. Let your mind rest and calm, and try to switch off from the day's problems. In a world that doesn't allow hibernation, this is how we make our own. In the pond. The pond in the depths of winter would be a place of utter stillness, everything having sunk to the bottom, or seeing the winter out in the pond's surroundings, if it weren't for the garden birds. Birds, of course, do not hibernate. They are active and highly visible in gardens all winter. A pond is a lifesaver for winter birds. House sparrows will visit in noisy gangs, bathing in the shallows and drinking from the chilly water. Tits, too, gang together in groups of up to 20 in winter, and will make the most of the pond, as will goldfinches, feeding on the seed heads in the garden and then splashing and drinking from the pond. Blackbirds, robins and bramblings will visit regularly, 
as will migrants such as red wings and field fares. More hens may spend time in smaller ponds in the winter as they tend to avoid larger bodies of water that become full of flocks of competing birds. Mallards also visit, but they can be destructive in a small pond. Birds turn this otherwise still and quiet period into a bit of a riot, from time to time at least. One of the perils of really cold winter weather is that the pond can freeze over and leave birds no access to water. So during a freeze, put out a container of water for them. Change it if it too freezes, checking twice a day. This is not the only hazard of a frozen pond. In its depths are creatures in various states of suspended animation. Frogs and newly mature newts, dragonfly nymphs, whirligig beetle eggs and more, and all of them need oxygenated water. A frozen surface reduces the amount of oxygen in the water and can also lead to a build-up of harmful gases from rotting vegetation. Extremely cold spells rarely last long and it would be very unusual for the pond to be frozen over for the few weeks it would take for a dangerous build-up to occur. But if you are concerned, then make a hole in the ice by resting a pan of boiling water on it, not by cracking the ice, which can shock the sleeping inhabitants down in the chill, murky depths. In the garden this month, ornamentals. Holly, mistletoe, ivy and its flowers and berries. Seed heads, willow stems, dogwood stems, rose hips, haws, old man's beard, winter clematis, mahonia, winter jasmine, chimamanthus, sarcococca, box, witch hazel, floral plumes of ornamental grasses, skeletons of trees, crabapples, cotoneaster, pyracantha. And edibles. Quinces, beetroot, brussels sprouts, main crop potatoes, carrots, kale, chard, garlic, leeks, parsnips, swedes, pumpkins, winter squashes, chervil, parsley, coriander, sage, rosemary and bay. This month's found sound is a little special. It was recorded by Alice in the Cairngorms as part of the following Nan expedition, when a group of women retraced the steps of nature writer and hill walker Nan Shepherd. You may wish to pause the podcast for a moment while you find somewhere warm and quiet to close your eyes, sit back and settle down just for a minute into this month's found sound. For December's found sound, I travelled to the Cairngorms, a mountain range in the eastern highlands of Scotland. I'm here with a group of eight other women, and we're retracing the steps of Scottish nature writer Nan Shepherd. Nan was different. She spent like one day just hopping from one river to the next. She was just content with being there. Born in 1893, Nan Shepherd spent much of her life walking the foothills of the Cairngorms, leading to her book, The Living Mountain. The 
We follow one of her routes up to the wells of Dee, navigating through biting winds and freezing rain. As we ascend the mountain, we look for forageable berries among the sphagnum moss and ling heather. So on our walk today we've had a choice of cowberries or bilberries. Bilberries by far my favourites. We hike into the clouds, set up camp by a lock a thousand metres above sea level and settle in for a chilly night on the mountain. In the morning, a flock of geese provide our wake-up call. The fog from the previous day has lifted and we gaze at the breathtaking view of the valley below. I'm looking out over this vista. There's a pool of water just ahead, surrounded by boulders and rocks, grass and moss. And beyond that, there are more hills and mountains of different colours and textures. And the view stretches as far as the eye can see. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. December's Island, Isle of Lewis, 58.1976 degrees north, 6.7451 degrees west, 330 kilometres northwest of Edinburgh, Scotland, 57 kilometres long, 19 kilometres wide, population 18,500. The Isle of Lewis is the northerly part of Lewis and Harris, the largest island in Scotland's Western Isles. Lewis is also the most populous of Scotland's islands, being low-lying and fertile, and home to Stornoway, the largest town in the Hebrides. It is thought that Lewis is named for the Old Norse Lewhus, meaning songhouse, or, less romantically, after Gaelic luach, which means marshy. The earliest signs of human life on Lewis come from peat samples, which tell us that 8,000 years ago the island's native woodland was burnt, making way for grassland on which livestock could graze. By 5,000 BC came the end of nomadic life in the Hebrides, when the inhabitants began to build small holdings and farms, settling in one place. And during the late Neolithic, around 3,000 BC, Lewis's people erected a special monument at Callanish on the west coast. Thirteen standing stones heaved into a cruciform pattern with a monolith near the centre. Formed from Lewisian gneiss, the stones carry much more than human history. Shining and sparkling, this is some of the oldest rock on earth. Though we don't know what exactly this monument was made for, we can see parts of its purpose in its position. The central stone circle marks the position of the winter sun, while the midsummer full moon sets in line with the southern stones and the equinoctial sunrises align with the western row. Perhaps most remarkably, every 18.6 years the central avenue is lit up with moonbeams during a phenomenon known as a lunar standstill, when the moon seems to hover then retrace its steps, its trajectory framed by the stones. There is always much focus on how these stones were used, and archaeology can give an impression of this, as through a blurred mirror. 
But what seems almost more fascinating is that we still gather in these places to watch the sun and moon and feel part of the worlds beyond our own. I hope you find somewhere special to celebrate the solstice this winter and herald the returning of the light. In the herbarium, the writer is inspecting a specimen. The winter light cannot dim its colours. Strawberry red flecked with snow, a white stem, a graceful curve. Leaning in close, the writer will not touch, but she does record her thoughts. Fly agaric, December. It's hard to think of a single living organism more associated with magic than the fly agaric mushroom. With its bold red cap and white spots, this fungus has become positively iconic, popping up in Western culture from Victorian fairy paintings to Super Mario. Both the common name and the Latin name Amanita muscaria, from musca meaning fly, refer to the use of the mushroom as an insecticide when added to a bowl of milk. Some suggest that insects have a taste for this potion for the same reason that some humans consume the fly agaric, its intoxicating, hallucinogenic effects. These effects are responsible for all sorts of stories, both true and fantastical. The fly agaric really has been used in traditional shamanic practices for centuries, mainly in Siberia, as well as for recreation, though some of the less pleasant side effects would make it tricky to enjoy at a party. These can be largely avoided if you drink the urine of someone who has eaten the mushroom. But again, this is probably not a welcome ingredient in the punch. The Victorians were fascinated by the fly agaric and its ability to turn the world around you very strange. In his 1860 book, The Seven Sisters of Sleep, Mordecai Cook described the confusion of scale and perspective that can be brought about by eating it. He wrote... Erroneous impressions of size and distance are common occurrences. A straw lying in the road becomes a formidable object, to overcome which a leap is taken sufficient to clear a barrel of ale or the prostrate trunk of a British oak. And pleasingly, Jacob Grimm, of fairy tale fame, wrote a couple of decades later in his Teutonic mythology that whoever carries a toadstool about him grows small and light as an elf. If this reminds you of a certain Alice and her trials and tribulations in Wonderland, you'd be quite right. After Alice meets the caterpillar smoking his hooker atop a mushroom, she eats some of the mushroom's cap, a piece from one side making her smaller and from the other making her larger. Lewis Carroll most likely read Mordecai Cook's book at the Bodleian Library, which held a host of publications describing the shamanic use of fly agaric fungi. A still popular story about the fly agaric is that it is responsible for much of the symbolism of Christmas. Santa Claus wears red and white, the colours of this stylish mushroom, is always in a jolly mood and takes a shamanic flight across the sky with his troop of reindeer. These animals are strongly associated with the fly agaric via the Siberian tradition of eating the flesh of reindeer who seek out the mushroom in the wild in order to experience its hallucinatory effect second-hand. Not only that, Santa hails from Lapland, where shamans also ate the fly agaric, and his helpers are elves, as strongly associated with fungi as the fairies of our folklore and art. Whether or not Santa Claus is a personification of this beautiful mushroom, 
fly agaric baubles make stylish Christmas tree decorations, and the real ones are a joy to find in the forest, standing out so brightly that they seem to beckon the curious walker. While fairies have become a popular adornment for the tops of Christmas trees, if you want to see a wild one, you should seek out the fly agarics in the wood. Keep very still. December's Perfume Ingredient Juniper Berry Juniper berries are not in fact berries, but the seed comb produced by the female parent tree. Juniperus is a genus of around 70 species of aromatic evergreen shrubs. Their leaves are needle-like when young, but grow to be all-shaped, meaning that many small spikes make up a leaf. With its balsamic, fresh scent, juniper berry is reminiscent of the rich aroma of the forest floor, the rustle and crunch of drying pine needles underfoot. Junipers thrive in Slovenia's highlands, alternating with meadowland just below the tree line. This is where ferns juniper berry oil comes from. Slovenes have been brewing with juniper for hundreds of years, particularly in the karst region to the southwest. Brinjovec or Brinovec is a high proof spirit fermented from juniper berries and intended not for drinking but for use in folk medicine. Far away from Slovenia, in Pakistan's mountainous region, there is an ancient forest of juniper where some trees have grown to over 1,000 years old. The Zirat Juniper Forest, now a UNESCO biosphere reserve, is believed to be the second largest of its kind in the world. Like all ancient woodlands, it is crucial in the fight against climate change. Its age and biodiversity make it a perfect carbon sink with thousands of years of carbon already locked in. Juniper berry is a key ingredient in Fern's forthcoming Winter 24 fragrance, which will be released on the solstice. The fragrance conjures the image of a rose in winter. The dazzling honeyed scent of rose de mai, touched with the frosty notes of rosemary and eucalyptus. For warmth, there's clove, juniper berry and balsam fir, and for balance the sweet sharp citrus scents of sweet orange, lemon and bergamot. Are you searching for a truly unique gift this Christmas time? I'll be placing a golden ticket beneath the tree. Beautifully wrapped, this gold embossed ticket entitles the recipient to a year of fern fragrances or fragrances at either the solstices or the equinoxes and it comes with a lovely little giclée print to open on the day. I like that this gift will bring joy to one of my family throughout the year, giving them something to look forward to each season, a deliciously scented treat that has become a ritual to unbox. You can purchase a golden ticket at fern.co forward slash gifts. You can find a link in the episode notes. Mark the winter solstice. Make a nature table with pieces of lichen-covered moss, buried holly, ivy, seed heads, pebbles, old man's beard, feathers and whatever else you can find out of doors. Then place white candles among them and light them on the day. It's also wonderful to catch the sunrise on the winter solstice, even if only from your window, so do it if you can. It certainly happens late enough. 
As you greet the sun, think about how it will make its lowest arc in the sky today, but how soon it will start to rise higher, lengthen our days, and bring spring. Fill a spray bottle with water, one teaspoon of vodka, and 25 to 30 drops of Christmassy essential oils, then shake it up and spritz it around. Try frankincense, sweet orange, and Douglas fir. The Sunset Sunsets in December are early. So early that most of us in the UK will spend more time out and about in the night than in the day, setting off for work or school before sunrise and arriving home long after all daylight has faded. What can we do in December but embrace the dark and teach ourselves to enjoy the winter magic of cold starlight, misty twilights and moon-glinting frosts? December is the best time of year for exploring the world in darkness, a month in which to experience familiar landscapes in unfamiliar light levels. Even if you're not a regular nighttime wanderer, it's well worth getting out after dark in December. Lighting up the night sky this month is our most powerful meteor shower, the Geminids. Peaking on the night of the 14th and early morning of the 15th, the Geminids are thought to be increasing in intensity year on year, and if the night is clear, you're pretty much guaranteed some shooting star wishes. Though the meteors appear to radiate from the star Castor in the Gemini constellation, hence the name Geminids, the Geminids occur when we pass through the dust trail left by asteroid 3200 Phaethon, making this one of our only meteor showers not to be produced by the tail of a comet. 3200 Phaethon is named for the son of the Greek sun god Helios, referring to the fact that its orbit passes closer to the sun than any other named asteroid. Its debris burns up when it hits our atmosphere, producing a beautiful display of fairly slow-moving meteors with a yellow hue. Look out for them above the southern horizon and enjoy some winter light amid the dark. December's Moon Phases The last quarter moon will rise on the 5th of December. Last quarter moons rise around midnight and are at their highest point as the sun rises. The new moon is on the 12th of December. New moons rise at sunrise in the same part of the sky as the sun and so cannot be seen. The first quarter moon falls on the 19th of December. First quarter moons rise near noon and are at their highest point as the sun sets. And the full moon falls on the 27th of December. Full moons rise near sunset, opposite the sun, so in the east as the sun sets in the west. December's full moon is known as the oak moon, or full cold moon. This one is also the moon after Yule. We end this year's series of folk music where we began, in an inn past nightfall and chilly air seeping under the door. It's nearly Christmas and the tree in the corner twinkles. You find a stool by the fire and settle in. Above the low chatter, you hear the sounds of a tuning guitar.
This song is called Arvoredydd Nadolig, which means on the morning of Christmas Day. And it's a very old song, and we know this because from the content of the lyrics, we can tell that it's pre-Reformation, when we changed from being a Catholic country to a Protestant country, which happened in the early 15th, early 16th, rather, century. Uh, so this song would probably be then from the 1400s, and it was passed down through families to the present day. Here we go, the very old Welsh Christmas carol, Arvoredydd Nadolig. Arvoredydd Nadolig Esgorodd y forwynig a methlem dref y ganwyd ef ar oes y lefd yr osom ni. O geidwad aned fe wawriad Dros ei ogddyn feillad wyd Ac mewn bedd gwag y feidodwyd Ar ôl y gair gorffennwyd Ond daeth yn rhydd y tyrdydd dydd O'r beddrod pryd yr osom ni O geidwad aned Fe wawriodd arnom dydd O rasolfair forwynig Mam geidwad bendigedig Ar iesid yr chaledig Ger gorsedd nef eiriol angref A chwyd y lefd yr oson ni O geidwad Thank you for listening to this month's episode. Please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month and our new series will begin on New Year's Day. I'm Leah Lane-Dertz and if you enjoyed this podcast you will also enjoy my book The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2024 which has just been published. This year's theme is In the Garden. As the Season Turns is now in its third year With over 30 episodes, there's lots to explore for each month. This podcast is produced by Jeff Bird and researched by Catriona Bolt. In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read The Herbarium. 
The folk song was played by Welsh musician Gwilym Bowen Rees, who also provided music for the intro. Alice Boyd is the sound recordist and designer who is travelling the UK through the year to make field recordings for each month's found sounds. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co or visit the link in the podcast description.